Second week of class. Is that right? It is the second week of class. Yeah, it's the second week of class. Friday. Um, nice thing about this program is you don't have anything on Fridays, right? That's a good thing. But I think some most programs are probably like that. Except, except like nursing and RAD. I think that they have class on Fridays. And I think the dental hygiene and dental assisting classes have classes on Fridays. But you know what? See, see, this curriculum was designed so that you guys would have Friday as a quote-unquote break kind of thing. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't come find us if you need us, because obviously you can. So, let's talk about things that we went over this week in my classes. So, bear with me. In hematology, we went over hematopoiesis in a general manner. So we looked at the pluripotential stem cell and then discussed the myeloid line and just kind of glanced at the lymphoid line, um, the two differentiating branches that come from that stem cell. So thinking about the myeloid maturation sequence, your red cells, your granulocytes, which would be your neutrophil, your eosinophil, your basophil, come from your myeloid line and your monocyte also comes from the myeloid line too okay so um and remember that monocyte is a phagocytic cell it's kind of like the um waste management the trash pickup service right okay so and i've got to pay my bill too i need to do that seriously i forgot um anyway so you know, they come around, they pick up the trash, get rid of it. It's gone. Bye-bye. Everything's cleaned up. That's what the monocyte does in your bloodstream. It's phagocytic. So a classic um, characteristic of the monocyte is that, well, number one, it's large, okay? And if you can't, if you're having a hard time remembering the size of the cells, but you can remember that the monocyte is like the trash pickup service, those are pretty big trucks, right? so to speak. Depends on what you do. We've got actually service around here. I think I'm going to change from waste management to Joe. It's Joe's trash pickup. And I'm guessing Joe is a local dude. I'd rather give my money to local people. But anyway, he's got a small truck. So, um, yeah, the monocyte is phagocytic. It will digest, it will engulf and remove debris in wherever location it's at and you guys have been also learning in immunology that it is one of your primary or can be one of your primary antigen presenting cells because as you go through the process of phagocytosis and you engulf that um, object the bacterium the debris whatever it is and you have a vacuole right that's that white spot in there's actual like air so to speak a lysosome or lysosome actually attaches and uh, adheres to that phagosome and releases its digestive chemicals into it, breaking down that pathogen or antigen, right, or foreign substance, whatever. And it goes through the process and it goes through exocytosis. So it poops out the junk it just broke down. Well, 
you know, it doesn't have Charmin, right? So there's some residual on the plasma membrane, residual antigen from that bacterium or that foreign debris that it is cleaning up. And that can actually trigger that monocyte to become an antigen presenting cell to your lymphocytic line, okay? So also in that myeloid uh, maturation sequence, we've got the platelet which comes from fragment is a fragment of the megakaryocyte and we'll talk more about platelets and red blood cells as we move along but we kind of focused this weekend lab on your granulocytes so make sure that you feel really good about at least right now knowing the mature vaso eo neutrophil okay now you're going to need to really start learning the um, the immature cells because you're going to need to know those. So remember, as we go from a blast, which is the least mature of your granulocytes, you're going to start maturing and it's good. the cell's going to get bigger because the cytoplasm is increasing because you're making you're making proteins the cells making proteins within the cytoplasm so it needs more space right and as that larger cell matures it's going to start contracting in on itself now um kind of if you want to equate it to this um when when babies are born and they start to grow you know everybody says you've got baby fat you'll lose that baby fat the older you get well i never lost mine but that's okay i'm i own it um kind of like the same thing so as something's growing it needs more space it needs more um area to build the components that the whole system is going to need and you can kind of look at cells that way so you've got the stem cell then you've got the blast then you'll have the promyelocyte, which is the biggest of all of the cells in the sequence. Um, blue, very blue cytoplasm, a delicate nucleus, meaning like, um, if you want to think of some fine lace that's a lot, that if you poured water on top of it, it would flow right through it versus something like very thick material, water won't pour through it as easily. That is the difference between a condensed nucleus and a delicate nucleus and we might visualize that next week in lab a little bit with something i'm not sure yet um so after the promyelocyte we've got the myelocyte okay so pro means before okay um so if it's a promyelocyte it comes before the myelocyte and the myelocyte is the continued maturation process that can the nucleus gets more condensed the secondary granules are more prominent and the cytoplasm is still blue, but it's not as blue. So you start seeing the more acidic components of your plasma, of the cytoplasm, appear. So you'll see blue and you'll see pink in the cytoplasm. Then we have a meta-myelocyte. Meta, the term meta basically means reflecting on. So when you hear terms like metacognitive, meta means you're thinking about thinking, okay? A metamyelocyte is basically like a, a myelocyte myelocyte. It's still a myelocyte, but it's maturing even more because it's getting ready to progress into a band. The band is just before the fully formed mature neutrophil, and it literally looks like a boomerang. No segments. And always remember that a segmented neutrophil has multi-lobes. We call it a multi-lobular or multi-segmented um, nucleus, okay? Um, 
Oftentimes you might hear them called polymorphonuclear, meaning that there are many shapes of the nucleus. So make sure you start really understanding that uh, so that when we look at these cells next week, that you'll be able to start thinking, okay, that's what this is, that's what that is. I am also going to add you into the account that um, you'll be able to start looking at these cells. And don't forget, Cell Atlas is really good uh, for you to use. I like using Cell Atlas. Try the quizzing. It'll be very frustrating. You can't really change anything any of the time, but it helps you with your speed and you need that. And then don't forget that pluripotential stem cell also branches off and starts that lymphoid line. And you don't need to worry about lymphoblast or pro-lymphocyte or all of that stuff. You just need to worry about the fact that T cells, B cells, and natural killer cells or cytotoxic cells will come from that line. Now, the T cells finish differentiating or finish maturing in the thymus. And so they migrate from the bone marrow to the thymus before they're released into the whole blood. And then your B cells finish their maturation sequence in the bone marrow. So T for thymus, B for bone marrow. That's one way you can remember it. Okay, so that pretty much wraps up heme for where we're at. And uh, I'm gonna stop it right here, come back with the next part, and we'll talk a little bit about chemistry. Okay, we're back. Let's talk about chemistry, what we did this week. So let me reflect on this a little bit. Um, so basically everything we've done in chemistry so far has been a review of that presentation we ended with last semester. So uh, most of you probably were thinking, is this deja vu? I've been here before. Has she lost her mind? All that's yes. But anyway, um, you haven't lost your mind. I'm just playing. But yeah, you've probably been there before and yeah, might've lost my mind. Anyway. Okay. So. We reviewed all of that, so definitely make sure you have a good understanding of accuracy and precision. So remember, accuracy is exactness. So if my if my reagent that I'm using, if the manufacturer says, when you run this on your instrument, when you test this on your analyzer, you should get a value of 100. And I get a value of 100, I'm accurate. If I get a value of 90, I'm not accurate. So accuracy is getting the exact mark that you're supposed to, hitting the target. Precision is being able to reproduce what you are doing. So if I am not accurate, let's say I get 90 and I should have gotten 100, but yet I can consistently get 90 over and over and over and over and over again, then I'm precise, I'm just not accurate. We gotta figure out why I'm not accurate, what's going on. Uh, we're, and we're going to talk about all of that in this semester, how you fix those kind of problems. We measure accuracy by measuring central tendency. And we have three ways we measure central tendency, mean, median, and mode. And we don't use mode in the laboratory, and that's okay. Um, sorry, I'm so popular, somebody's hitting me up on Messenger. Not really, but anyway, um, that's the ding you heard. So, um... Mean is the sum of all the numbers in the data set divided by the, that total number in that data set. So if you've got 10 numbers and they add up to 100, you divide 100 by 10, 
you got an average of 10, right? There you go. Median is the middle point of that data set. So you take all of your data points, you put them in order from least to most, and then you take the very middle number. Now, if you've got an odd number, meaning odd amount, let's say you've got seven numbers, you would be able to take the one that is exactly in the center, right? So you would count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You would take the number right in the middle, which would have been four. But if you have, let's say, an an even number, let's say you have six numbers, you're gonna take the average of the two middle. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six. We've got, uh, what was that? Three and four are the middle numbers, right? So you would take the average of those and that would be your median. Now the median and the mode are real close together. Their numbers are typically really close together. And we Typically, only use mean for your daily QC monitoring. Median is often used if I want to exclude those really, really crazy outliers that are hanging off the edge of my Gaussian curve. Which brings us to the Gaussian curve. So it's very important that you understand that bell curve. And that's the bell curve you always hear about. Teachers are gonna grade on a bell curve. No, they don't. They really don't. Don't believe that stuff. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, so that bell curve is basically saying, if you look at the mean, most of your data is gonna fall at the mean. That's the, that's the most frequency of your data points. And about 60, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna to have to shut this off. Never mind, it'll be fine. Um, so about 65% of all of your data points will be either one standard deviation below the mean or one standard deviation above the mean, okay? That's one standard deviation. Stretching it out to about 95.5% of your data points, all of those are gonna fall within plus or minus two standard deviations of the mean. And that's where we get most of the uh, clinical significance of being able to determine is the assay of, of a high quality. Can we test samples with the assay? Is it reliable? Is it accurate? Is it precise? And then you've got a little over 99% of all of your data points will be within plus or minus three standard deviations. Anything outside of that is really those major outliers that probably would not have happened if a major error hadn't occurred. Okay, so as we move into next week, we're going to start talking about how we're going to apply the calculation of standard deviation and the mean into making Levy-Jennings run charts with quality control data. So in chemistry next week, my plan right now is to give you a data set and have you work together on determining if the assay is precise, which we do that by using um, uh, an overall precision. We do that by using percent coefficient of variation, which we'll talk more about that next week before lab. And Jethro's sitting in my lap, so he's saying hi. You probably can hear him sniffing. Um, we'll talk about that. I'll give you a data set next week, but I'm also going to give you an activity where you're going to come up with your own data. So each of your teams will have different data points, and it'll be interesting to see how close you get to each other. So that's the plan for chemistry next week, and it'll help you understand West Guard, well not necessarily, it'll help you understand the creation of that Levy Jennings chart and then we're going to get into West Guard rules and they're really fun. I think they're very fun and you'll 
we'll be able to really take time to understand how we apply them. So that's pretty much chemistry in a nutshell. We are going to start talking about quality management and the difference between quality management, quality assurance, quality control, and quality improvement. So it's pretty easy to know that quality improvement is improving the quality of a, a, a situation, right? QI is really easy to understand. The, the confusion comes in with QM, QA, and QC. Now, if you're looking at it from this perspective, quality management has the term management in it. You're managing something. It's an overall process. So think of a, a manager in a job that you may have had before. That individual may have multiple employees that are doing multiple different tasks, right? That that individual is responsible to make sure each task is done right. Let's take for instance, let's take for instance, hmm, Taco Bell. Okay, let's say Taco Bell. Maybe not Taco Bell. Let's say Chick-fil-A. Let's say, okay. So at Chick-fil-A, there are several different areas of Chick-fil-A that have to be operated to a high degree of quality. You've got the drive-through, one. You've got the desk at the front, whatever you call it, the order station at the front. You've got the kitchen in the back, right? Okay, we're just gonna go with those three areas. Those three areas have oversight by the manager of that Chick-fil-A. So when we're talking about quality management, quality management from that perspective would be the responsibility of the Chick-fil-A franchise manager, okay? When we talk about quality assurance, quality assurance is basically a program that's implemented over specific processes to make sure they work correctly. In our somebody really wants me to talk to them, and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not right now. Oh my goodness. Okay, let me, let me get this gone. Okay. Um, so when we're talking about quality assurance, let's imagine the drive-through, okay? Someone is over the drive-through. They're supervising the drive-through processes. So they've got to come up with a plan to make sure, okay, the times are with, or the wait times are within certain parameters, that there's always enough ice at that ice machine, that the drink machine is always, has the right amount of CO2 because some mornings, it doesn't, and they've got to make sure that the cash register is monitored. They've got to make sure it's staffed. That's an example of a quality assurance plan. Now, the drive-through has that. So does the front order station, okay, and so does the kitchen. So each area has its own quality assurance plan that gets reported up to quality management, which would be the Chick-fil-A manager and in comes quality control. Let's take the drive-through again. So quality control would be something that the people in that process area do every day to make sure their quality assurance plan is working. So let's say the CO2 tanks for the um, drink machine, well, if they were out this morning and you had this crazy red-headed um, teacher who always stops by and gets a drink and she was not happy that she got a flat drink, maybe we should put a process in place to check off that we check that the CO2 tanks were filled oh, every day. It's a good idea. Maybe we should make sure the ice machine is cleaned every day. Maybe we need to make sure that we're double checking yesterday's turnaround times for the drive-through weights and that they're within the right time frame. Those are quality control um, 
tasks that are done daily in each area of the Chick-fil-A has them. So that's just a little bit of a, a silly scenario about quality management, quality assurance, quality control, and quality improvement. We're going to get more into it and we're probably going to do some silly stuff. Um, I have found that when you make it relevant to life for everybody, it's easier to understand. So before we jump into developing plain QA plans and QC for a lab, we're going to do it for like a small country or something that has all of these other processes. Anyway, we'll figure it out. But that's pretty much chemistry this week in a nutshell. Now next week we're going to do Westgard. I'm not Westcard, I'm sorry, we're going to talk about Westcard, but in lab we're going to do the um, statistics, we're going to practice um, establishing the acceptable range again, we're going to do Levy Jennings charts, and we're going to pull out the pipettes and start doing some more serial dilutions and making dilutions, getting you back familiar with that process. So, that was week two, um, summed up in about 20 minutes, and I hope you find this helpful, this podcast. And make sure you take a look at the parts in here, because if you don't need anything for chemistry, you really can just not even listen if you don't want to. So I'm going to try to chunk everything in these podcasts in small little snippets and do my best to keep them less than 30 minutes. So when we pull Miss Evans in next week on this, we'll give her two parts as well. So I'll say, okay, Miss Evans, don't get long-winded on me, okay? You need to keep it to five minutes. Uh, but it also, it's always going to depend on what you've got. So anyway, you guys be safe. <clears throat> stay warm. Don't get out and get on a slick road if you don't have to. That time is coming and it will be here m- more quickly than you can imagine. So reach out. Um, thank you for listening to this, by the way. I would say to make sure you buy whatever sponsor, but I don't ever do that because I don't believe in monetizing these things. This is purely for learning. I'm just being silly. Um Contact me if you need anything. I am just a text phone call away. And we're going to try something new next week. It's called um, Ziplet. Ziplet. Z-I-P-L-E-T. And if you go to, let me see if I can see it here without losing you. If you go to um, the interwebs and you type in Ziplet, you can... Go to the website, yep, it's ziplet.com. Sign up for my class. It is number 713374. You're probably grabbing a pen right now, and that's cool. 713374. And I'll share this again next week. It's going to be another way for you to give me feedback other than the Google form. And you'll be able to actually go into your own account here and track your progress, okay? So you might find that very helpful. Let me get back to my screen. All right. Okay, guys, holler if you need me. The preceding podcast was sponsored by four crazy dogs who smell like butt. Please come back and listen to our next podcast next week.